UX Podcast Episode 287. Hello, I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And this is UX Podcast. We are in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're listening to us all over the world from Latvia to Switzerland. And this is the first of our shows in collaboration with Ambition Empower, where we record our interviews in front of a live audience made up of the Empower. I'm going to do that again. And this is the first of our shows in collaboration with Ambition Empower, where we record our interviews in front of a live audience made up of the Ambition Empower community. Ambition Empower is a professional education program. It's directed towards design leaders and UX professionals interested in upping their game through a continuous learning journey that engages you in small chunks every week during your membership. Okay, and so this is the way it works. There are different tracks. There's design and product leadership with Kim Goodwin, AI Mastery with Chris Nossel, and Behavioral Design with Susan Weinshank, and Design Ethics with Pad Axbom. Who's that? <laughs> yep, I have one of those tracks, actually. Uh, and there's also now the track UX Podcast. And you can follow as many tracks as you want, and there is new content every week from each track, and the leader of each track has a live session roughly once a month. And... You can read more about Ambition Empower by visiting uxpodcast.com slash empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R. And when you sign up, use the code UXPodcast for a thousand kroner off your yearly price, which is also about a hundred euro or about a hundred dollars. Just now it's kind of nicely in balance between all these currencies. And the first person to be honored with this setup having a live audience is... Joe McLeod previous podcast guest, author of Ends and Endoneering, and expert in designing endings. We talked to Joe um, almost exactly five years ago, back in 2017, um, about how there's a the gap in consumer life cycle that needs attention at the end. Yeah. And our relationship with Joe did not end five years ago, and neither did his thinking on this topic and his new book is called Endineering. Hi, cool. Lovely to be here. So fun to see you. Yeah. And it's crazy. It is, it's, it's been five years <laughs> since we I talked know. to you last. And I didn't realize that it, the last time we'd done it, I hadn't even published the first book. So um, right. there was some resolution, I think, from talking with uh, you about like what I was going to write, I guess. Uh, but it must have been quite close to it being published, I guess. It was March 2017, I think, we sat down in your apartment and chatted. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, it was published in June 2017. So I guess I was polishing stuff off and um, mm. getting it edited around that time. Mm. What I do know for sure is we didn't get a preview version of the book to read. <gasps> ah, yeah. But you did this time, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> yeah, this, this time we, we did. did. So we're probably prepared I, this time around. It was also quite a lot of learning for how to, do, how to publish a book as well for me so I was like fumbling around uh, like how the hell do I do this and uh, stuff oh, so yeah. learning like doing the physical book then uh, doing an ebook and I'd done an audio book which um, all of them took up a lot of learning and how to distribute and how to 
tell people about it so it, yeah you learn a lot about just publishing books I guess than, and this time it was a lot easier so I know exactly what I'm doing and sharing it out was a lot easier as well yeah we're always of course always learning all the time mm. but for people who maybe haven't listened to the interview we did um, five years ago or repeated I think a yep. year ago um, how about just giving us a little recap of what we mean by ends or endings so um I guess a, a little recap, a, a summarization of what we mean by endings is the consumer experience has a consumer life cycle. The majority of our efforts as designers, developers, product creators goes into those first two quadrants, which is onboarding, so sales, uh, telling the story, marketing, and usage. So that's interaction design, product development, product quality, et cetera. And then the last quadrant, which is offboarding, which is the between the consumer feeling like that product has ended for them, whether it's being totally consumed or it's not doing the service it was, and it being totally neutralized and recycled or other alternatives of recycling, like you know, erasing all the digital assets out of it. We're not designing that quadrant. So we're talking about offboarding, which is between usage and the end. Hopefully, that was fairly good, sort of summary of it. Succinct. Mm. That was uh, that was mm. nice. Okay, good. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting the, somewhere. <laughs> and the problem is, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the well, so in summary, what we also uh, came up with last time, I think, when we talked to you, is we realized that companies are doing this really bad. So there's like an opportunity here, of course to do something better. Yes. Uh, and, and in this book, you even talk, started talking about, well, how can, we, how can we measure the performance of the ending? How can we look at the return on investment of, of the ending as well? Which is really nice to, to start getting these tools for understanding there is an opportunity to do something better, but also to be a better company uh, by and large. So I think the first book I really dug into trying to give a, a bigger landscape of like, why, why are we having all these problems with consumerism? So that could be climate change, plastics in the sea, mis-selling and financial services or privacy and social networks. And the majority of our, I think our discussion currently goes, that company's bad, that's why this is bad. And actually I trying to reframe that in, this, in the first book to, there's actually a big societal problem in terms of how we approach endings and that relationship with long-term consequence. So the first book is very much why we don't do endings, and then that links it into consumerism. And then the second book is about how we need to design endings, so like a how-to book. So if you're in product development, this is the book that you need to improve those sort of things. Mm. And you've even broken up endings into faces to work with. I love uh, the concept of, for example, the crack of doubt, which would be the first phase. Yeah, so in the... I guess I've been researching this for like seven, eight years now. But um, as you go through the researching and in the broader themes across both books, um, you come across different psychological things. And so the crack of doubt comes from a woman called Helen Rosa Barr. And uh, she used to be a nun and she left the habit and she became a psychologist. And she was really interested in role exit. And that means a role can be a role at work or a role as a partner or like a romantic partner. Uh, and it can be, you know, a role as a parent. All sorts of roles we have in our life and we feel comfortable in those roles until such a point that we start to feel like it's not working for us. And Helen Rosa Barr called that the crack of doubt. I think it's such a great phrasing 
that um, I've sort of adopted that into the um, the sequences. And I think the beginning of the end is that sort of thing that um, Helen Rosa Barr's describing in her work around Rolex it is the crack of doubt. And it makes a lot of sense, I think, for the consumer experience as well. Mm. I mean, is it is it is it when you start doubting? Do you start doubting from your own side of things? So like doubting that like this is right for me or is it more doubting the product's usefulness i mean do you see what i mean is it I, which which end are we coming from with the, with the so it's it's when you are currently in that relationship that usage period for example mm. that you might start feeling like this isn't really for me i'm feeling like this isn't working so it as essentially it's a very subconscious feeling and part of that moving t through the crack of doubt to the next phase in the offboarding phases is acknowledge and so it's a subconscious thing. It's very emotive. A good example is when you're in a restaurant, it's late at night, other tables have left, uh, the com you know, finished dessert, the wine's finished, the conversation starts to slow. And then that's the sort of crack of doubt, that vibe that, oh, maybe we should get the bill now. And then you acknowledge it with getting the bill. And the other thing is that um, I think a good example is when you've got a a cupboard full of really old clothes that you never ever use you sort of you sort of know they're there and you know you should sort of do something about it but you never really acknowledge it and start going down that path of action so it's the sort of subconscious thing and she talks about it as this crack of doubt and you what happens in in her examples and not uh is that start the you re you reinvestigate the crack and then that crack opens up if you've confirmed that oh yeah this is this is the end this is the end coming and you sort of open up that crack. And then there's a second rate phase of role exit that Helen Rosa Barr talks about, which is where the first phase is the ending happening. And the second phase in terms of roles is seeking a new role. So what happens in um, in role exit with Helen Rosa Barr is that you realise that your current role is broken. And the second phase is finding a new role. And it's really interesting. It's well worth looking at her work. I think. But, I mean, it's also interesting. You mentioned you use the word relationship as well. Yeah. Uh, just then, and the the parallels with ending your relationship with a digital product or or even a product full stop and our real life relationships. Now that that feeling, that that crack of doubt that this relationship is working, and then acknowledging that your relationship's not working out, and finding a new role post relationship. I guess. Yeah, and I think the the first phases are of the offboarding experience are quite emotive. So when you go from the crack of doubt into acknowledge, you, you're bringing forward something and starting to action it. And then after that, there's a couple of other phases which are a bit more um, tangible, like you So, So you, then you go into sort of more like a visit, visualizing those phases. Uh, so you get to... Um, actioned yeah so you go to action yeah. it gets a lot more tangible then and then observed a lot more tangible but then uh settled and then aftermath and rebirth which are the final two stages they're a lot more emotive as well so you go into like a more reflective mode at, uh, um in the aftermath most aftermath periods in consumer experiences is quite raw emotionally so that's the time that people like just get really angry on TripAdvisor or etc uh, and then there's a the rebirth period because when I was building these, I was thinking that it, I just got up to um, I just got up to the aftermath period, and then I was reading around um, hero with a thousand faces and the cycle of the hero's journey, mm. and 
it when the hero comes back to normality they realize that there actually hasn't been much change they've changed but actually around them not much has changed and there's a point after we leave something where how much benefit have we got out of that there's a sort of a re reflective period of rebirth where you go i'm going to seek it again i'm going to join it again and start to do that cycle again and i found that quite interesting so there's emotions definitely within this sequence of offboarding but there's some other tangible points in it as well mm. i love how you frame that because when we're saying it's a relationship when we're talking about all these emotions it becomes so evident that it can be also emotionally disturbing to make that decision to actually leave a service or or, or yeah. whatever you're leaving the ending but then you would also expect the other part the other party in the relationship to also feel something and that is what often happens that the other party <laughs> the party we're buying something from they don't care because once we're gone we're not they're not making any money from us and all of a sudden it, it it's almost like that relationship relationship meant nothing to them absolutely so mm -hmm. a big problem with I think the offboarding experience, those first two quadrants are very much a partnership between the consumer and the provider. And it's always celebrated that partnership. Oh, you're such a good customer to us. Why don't you do this? And we're so loyal to you. And there's this very bonding uh, relationship. Offboarding, the consumer tends to be abandoned. They tend to be almost blamed for some of the consequences of consumption. And they haven't got the right mechanisms and instructional sort of content to do the right thing so there's many examples for all of us where we're sort of abandoned and haven't got an idea of what we want to do a good example is the amount of mobile phones we've got in our drawers so mm -hmm. i can easily go out and be celebrated as a consumer with a wonderful partnership from a mobile phone company or a uh, uh, mobile phone producer and the onboarding is great the usage is great but then the offboarding And when I get that new phone, what do I do at the end? And then I open up the drawer of my desk and put it in there with the other five generations of mobile phones. GifGaff done some research uh, in the last couple of years in the UK. They reckon 55 million abandoned phones are just hanging around in people's homes. Mm -hmm. That is mind-blowing. And then they counted e-waste in homes. And I think it was in London there was 13 bits of unused electronic products that people just don't know what to do with at the end. So this is the this is the problem space we're in. And especially with e-waste, it is massive toxic problem space that we're not even grappling nearly. Hmm. Grab it. You know, there's no, we're not getting hold of this at all as a consumer I wonder, experience. I wonder how much, because the whole thing about like, um, you know, the feeling of guilt Yeah, after relationships or at the end of the bit and and what we're talking about now where the the business side of things kind of run away and uh, yes brush brush themselves off from all the guilt and then maybe were the ones that were left then with if you do actually realize you've got all those phones that's when the, the feeling of guilt maybe kicks in i mean i don't know i've got a draw down here with, with at least i think five or six in uh, yeah haven't mm. we all and um mm. yeah the the feeling of guilt i think is and i in the first book i talk a lot about different religions and how they approach uh, consumerism a, a consumerism is very embedded in our relationship with heaven So there's a strong relationship between our, our life on earth and our relationship with heaven and that re relationship with abundance. And we haven't reckoned with that since our earthly presence has such massive abundance. Uh, so you get Buddhism, which is very counter to that and very much more reflective about how we grapple with consume, uh, abundance, as it were. 
So when we think about um, managing that, we don't really have the tools. So when we think about guilt, we it's not very actionable guilt until you start putting things in place that people can do something around. We need to have instructional guidance, which is partnered with a provider to take us on that journey from usage to the end so we can reclaim those assets, whether they be you know, the sort of minerals and metals in the mobile phone, or whether it's about neutralizing things coherently with uh, with them digital. I think mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to be said around how we manage that in a big, more sociological sense as well. That's a perfect example of the opportunity, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, we have these mobile phones that we feel guilty that we have in our drawers. Uh, and so if we see the opportunity, then the companies themselves could actually uh, be transparent about the fact that they know that we have these in our jars and yeah. offer us the possibility of let's order this box and you can put all your phones in it and we'll take care of it and you can follow their journey uh, uh, to reuse and that would make me feel much better and that would be a perfect ending and that would be, make me respect the company that much more exactly so our maturity <laughs> i think with brand relationships now is so much better than it, it used to be so and we celebrate that at onboarding usage and brands are really delighted to be cozying up with the consumer, having this strong partnership. That partnership and that brand equity is totally abandoned at the end as well. So doing things like what you're just talking about here is um, really building that brand equity, keeping that in place. So irregard of what the assets are in a physical sense, you're keeping in place that very rich brand equity, that strong relationship that you can be partnered with throughout the consumer life cycle and then potentially into a, a good ending, which both parties feel collaborative, it's under control, it's a conversation, and also it celebrates the potential of, of obviously having another relationship with that brand. I really liked actually in the book where you, you, you brought up the whole um, idea of um, ends um, at the beginning, so ends at onboarding. Yeah, the um, importance of fronting with with mm. the end, which sounds really odd when you when you're saying it like that. You know, begin with the end. So I've come to a realization that we can do so much more with um, thinking about this this uh, aspect of the consumer life cycle. So thinking about the end at the beginning, you can start thinking about how, um, for example, the transaction model at the beginning. We have uh, broadly like five different transaction models, a payment before delivery, payment after delivery, continuous uh, observation, for example, or um, a synchronous payment or a scheduled payment, which is like uh, subscription models. And some of those really load a bad ending. So for example, if you pay before an experience has happened, the consumer has no leverage because you as a consumer have already given up the money. But if you pay after the delivery, then the consumer has loads of leverage. And uh, going back to the restaurant example, you have loads of leverage. If you haven't paid yet, then you've got a discussion, an open discussion. Why restaurants are so good at service is when they've got these, they're quite comfortable to hear feedback and they're always asking for feedback. How's the meal? How's the wine? Did you like this? And, they, and they're always open for that discussion because, you know, there is the end is going to benefit them in terms of knowledge and potentially financially. Mm. And you even, I think you, you point out as well, um, Joe, the, the, the difference in, yeah, so um, you, yeah, exactly that willingness of 
wanting to peel before you another example was a washing machine wasn't it that with with white goods the 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 goods that you have the utility of the home just washing machines and so on then you love to pay for them sorry that's what was that so you'd love to pay for oh you, yeah you really don't want to pay for the washing machine because it's it's like something you just have to have and use in the future yeah there's um i can't remember the people who've done the research but there's things that we like paying for like holidays because we see like that as a celebration and there's utility things that we don't like paying for like washing machines and um the researchers were talking about how apple when they bought out the very colorful uh computers desktop computers it sort of bridged this gap between utility and fun and it sort of twisted that relationship between um uh payment and the long-term consequences of that payment as well yeah, it, it messed with the perception of the of the thing you're buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think the um yeah the onboarding can really frame those um relationships at offboarding and a, a really good example is terms and conditions like the the gravity of ticking the box of terms and conditions has no uh there's no elements and graphic elements around that that gives that impression of the gravity of ticking that box and then you're into this uh the the um last sort of quadrant of transaction models which is continuous observation and it's very hard to realize the continuous observation in the density of the terms and conditions it's not really revealed as a as a consumer experience like you're going to be continuously observed isn't really said so so neatly yet you are and that goes on and on forever and even ending that relationship is very very foggy unlike different transaction models that end very clearly like a payment after delivery mm. and i think what what some people who want to get into this space and understand well we we should be doing better offboarding and better endings uh, i think the example with 3 denmark is so spot on because i think people are afraid if we make it too easy to quit and leave and cancel uh, the account or whatever there, more people are going to do it. And with 3 Denmark, it really proved that is not the case. Oh, totally. I hear this all the time. So many businesses think, like, if I make it easier to leave, then people are going to just fall out of the relationship. I, I think that's such a... And it really comes from, I think, I think, I have no backup to this. I think it comes from years ago when we used to go out and do hard manual sales. So you would go physically somewhere to sell something and then you would make loads of personal effort as a salesperson to to make that sale, and then you'll keep that relationship going. So you'd want to keep them very actively inside the relationship. We have digitized loads of onboarding and usage period, and uh, to the point where no one's actually present physically in that in that space. So it's it, essentially, in terms of human power, it's uh, very it's minimal. Uh, offboarding we've still got this crazy um, human element into it so loads and loads of companies have humans on the phones to talk you out of leaving and so one of the things in the um, three example was from the um, customer services team they said we've got loads of other things in place that we've made minimizing improvements in the product offering from three Denmark but we need to resolve this thing around talking endlessly hours talking people around from leaving all of these people have you know very valid reasons to leave this company or any company and what's interesting in that space is that we digitize the onboarding usage period but we're we're still manually operating the ending 
Digitizing the ending and making it as easy to come into the relationship and leave the relationship won't result in more people leaving. It will improve your brand offering and improve your product offering. Hmm. So I think like we, we've talked about or we've listed the um, what, seven um, different phases of the of, of endings. Yeah. Um, and we've we've now touched on some of the different types of ending. I yeah. think you've you describe nine different types of ending um, in the book. I think it's now, eight. You, is it eight? Okay, yeah. I maybe miscounted. So timeout, ending, yeah. exhaustion, credit out, task event completion, broken and withdrawal, lingering ending, proximity ending, a cultural ending, and a competition ending. That was nine. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Some of them have two words in them. So, oh, is that what <laughs> Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I, I reflected on, on the cover of the book, you mentioned also customer burnout as one of them, uh, really. And oh, I'm, that's, I'm thinking in, that, that's that, the that, wired that, quote, isn't it? Yeah, it probably fits right. into one of these. But that one was interesting to me because it really, it really touches on this, this aspect of sometimes you just can't keep going for, for some reason that could be unrelated to whatever service or product you're offering, yeah. uh, which is interesting. And you have to be aware of that. And, and that's a problem when you realize that people are making it harder for people to end the relationship when they could be going through so many other things that they really need to end the relationship because it, it's, it's, they need it for their own well-being and health. Absolutely. You hear this on um, like cable. Um, I heard some terrible ones from cable companies who will sell uh, sell people the extra package. So I heard of a story where this elderly gentleman was trying to undo his undo his um, his contract with a massive cable company. And instead, he was uh, sold the movie channels and sports the the biggest sports package and increased the um his burden and he was trying to leave there to save money and instead he went in and because they're professional salespeople at the end of these relationships it's massively irresponsible some of the things that fall out of that so there's <laughs> there's an ethics thing around some of these relationships where we don't let people leave is i think horrifying mis-selling but it isn't considered that because they're already customers i think and that's and that's the one i think that that type of ending the the not allowed to leave is the one that you think yeah. of or i think of first and foremost when we're talking about this but your your list of types of ending um and i realized where i went wrong in my counting i had exhaustion and and out of credit as two separate ones yeah um but but when you look at these different examples and you realize that yeah um if i've if i've run out of, of gems in a game or whatever then the, de the game effectively comes to a, an end, a death, because I haven't bothered to top it back up. Um, or your example of you've done a fixed subscription. You've bought something like a magazine for 12 months. If I yeah. don't do anything, it just fades away. So, so a lot of these ones, I've realized looking around me, there's, there's a lot of ends that are, are fades more than ends. They're, they're, it's kind of disappeared into the background. So that's, that's the, one of the reasons like that lingering one is lingering. in there in, phys in physical products and, and where well, you can have it in all sorts of products. So it's that lingering one, which in the foreground, consciously, you think you've ended it. In fact, you haven't really consciously ended it. You've just forgotten about it. So you forget about subscriptions, software subscriptions or or um, like magazine subscriptions. But you also forget about clothes in the cupboard. So these things are out of sight. 
So mm. a good way to look at those and talk about the invisibility of things is um, if you think about a chair, for example, the physicality of that, even if I'm not liking the chair and I want to get rid of the chair, it's still in my house. It has physical assets and it's going to be very apparent to me because I walk past it all the time. So physical world assets don't tend to linger so much until we buy some off-site storage and put it in off-site storage. Then we've got things like subscription assets and they sort of drift below the visibility line into, they sort of forget about them and then they pop up in your bank statement. And it's a cliche that people are like, and then I didn't, I didn't see the subscription I've been paying for ages until I looked at my bank statement. And that's a sort of cliche, but that's sort of monthly that pops up that visibility. Then you have in a digital sense, the when we leave, uh, like delete an app and it's still churning away data in the background. I've really only got access to have an observation of that when I've got the app and I dig into settings and I see what's going on. So you only have very periodical sort of like when I've got access to it. And then there's a whole load of other invisibility things behind the scenes that are way out of our visibility. And that's the sort of, especially in digital, those assets are really far away, but they're sort of getting linked together by marketing companies in the background into a sort of uh, sort of a, a shadow world, as it were. And then you're getting sent marketing material, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I'm wondering now, as a, as a UX designer, um, and uh, yeah, my company's understood that there's something needs to be done with ends, yeah. um, endings. And, and now I've got from you, Joe, I've got, what was it, seven different phases and, and I've got eight um, different types of endings. <laughs> that's right, that's right, James. Um, how, how, much, um, <laughs> how much of this do I need to actively design? And then the, the, follow, the follow-on question from that, of course, is how the hell do I do it? So um, over the period of well talking to you guys over the period of like years and my engagement with the community and sharing points of about endings i think the first few years and i'm been sharing the theme so the first step for anyone who's listening to this is to start thinking oh yeah i need to sort of think about designing endings as well so becoming aware of the need the second step is like starting to think about um what things you can do. So you can start looking at your product in terms of endings. That's a massive step. Just acknowledging and thinking, ah, oh, how does it end? Most of the time it's like, oh my God, we haven't even thought about it at all. So then you can start. I have to say, when you, when you wrote that, you have these steps that you can go through. When you wrote that, just that question, how does your product end now? That was like a, an aha moment for me. Yeah. Wow. So rarely do I think about that question. And, and also, the, like we've just mentioned now with different types, that the, the ending doesn't necessarily mean yeah. to be, doesn't have to be the catastrophic end. No, yeah. no. Just these kind mm. of like mm. moments within mm. the mm. use that become mm. endings in themselves, so, micro endings. So that's a really good point to remember that endings are talked about only in the context of competition and competition is aggressive and competitive. And so when you look at those eight types of endings, competition is in there. You'll be very comfortable in your business talking about, oh, a competitor's done this, a competitor's done that. And one day, you know, a lot of your customers might go off to that competitor. Businesses love talking about that. That's the only thing they like talking about in terms of endings. All of these other endings that you can, you can look at in your product experience and the consumer experience really need designing around. So, so these are the steps. Then you recognize that endings exist you recognize and start observing them in your own product 
And then using the, the systems and tools, start thinking about, okay, how would we start to build an ending, a better ending for this product? And a, a good place to start is, um, and it was very interesting in the three Denmark thing, because it was one of the, the core stepping stones. They made the leap to do it. They recognized in their brand that the onboarding and brand, brands have all of these uh, components in which are like, we're transparent, we're honest, we're authentic. And they realized that none of those applied to the end of the customer lifecycle. So they looked at transparent and they realized that we weren't transparent at the end. And now they feel they really are. So look at your brand equity, look at your brand generally and think about what would the brand offering be an off-boarding experience would it be transparent would it be this would it be that and it's well worth starting it from that storyline that emotional hook because it is an emotional experience at the end as it is the beginning and you want to you want to even that up and then you can start looking into like okay so where's the critical points where's the worst bumps for the consumer and then i would start there and think about what's our purpose in this do we as a physical company need to reclaim the assets send out packs that they can send them directly back to our manufacturing house or what you know and if you're digital how do you delete the evidence or the, the data of the consumer etc so there's mm. there's points where so i wouldn't try and like go excellent let's do these massive leaps i would start with simple things like where how do we currently end things and that's the key, isn't it? Start with the small steps. Yeah. And when you realize that's working and you actually benefit from it as a business, yeah. then you can go on, then you gain trust from the organization and you can go on and do the other things as well. And it's a point that I make in the return on investment thing is uh, you don't jump into this. Think about it in, in bite-sized pieces because you can spend a lot of money doing the wrong things on any design. So de design it out first. Mm. And I guess you, you, the knee-jerk response usually is to try and persuade someone to stay or persuade someone away from an ending. Um, uh, I think that's the, actually a, a good point um, there, James, is try to stop doing that because everything ends and acknowledge that it ends. Don't think, oh, this is a new beginning. When I do training and stuff, there's so many people in the room, but and this ends in a new beginning and this ends in another sale. And it's actually quite a leap for most people to go, hmm. oh, wait a minute, this is an ending, not another sale. We know how to do sales. We've done that for zillions of years. Well, not maybe that long, but a good amount of time since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, the whole thing where you kind of like you automatically want to save it. It's kind of like yeah. someone's. Oh, yeah. well, if we just if we just put this text there or that button there, we can <laughs> stop them. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And I feel that's what the both of you are doing right now as I'm trying to end the interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want it to end. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe, for being with us again. Thanks ever so much. It was a delight, as always. At the end of our interview, well, Joe, we got a lot of questions from the audience and looking at the questions we got, the majority of them actually in some way or another were about measuring. You know, whether it's the kind of you know measuring the, the financial benefit of doing better endings or or whether it's the kind of you know return on investment of doing better endings. Um there there was there was multiple questions all roughly around the same thing.
show me the money, kind of, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Joe did a did a good job of, of responding to those. But again, people started kept coming back to, but what is the specific number? How much money is there to gain from designing mm. a better ending? Yeah. And from my perspective, I mean, that's it's difficult because that that's also saying uh, it's it's more profitable to do the bad thing. So I should keep doing the bad thing as if there's there's only an incentive based in an, a financial figure that can make you do the right thing. Yeah, a directly visible figure. I mean, we, yeah. you can make the same um, comparison with uh, like the ROI of accessibility mm. or, or ultimately the, the ROI of UX. Right. I mean, you know, how, how, how much is it worth doing a good thing? Um, mm. but, but that said, I mean, during his book, he does talk about um, businesses being trapped in single engagement models. Exactly that there is this kind of business cycle um, and you've, you're, you're working people or organizations through the cycle and the focus mm. is on that cycle. Um, and what Joe is working on here is trying to get a um, cultural shift to happen in organizations so they, they move beyond the one cycle approach and start to realize that these cycles, you can loop in and out over decades, over in over people's entire lifetimes, not just the product's lifetime. Yeah, and I think that he also kills some 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 preconceptions about about endings as well, which means that there I mean there are alternative costs that organizations have around putting money and time and effort into creating those difficult endings, preventing people from leaving easily. But when you take those uh, barriers away, people actually don't leave as long as you have a good product, which means that you're you're spending a lot of money on the wrong thing. Mm. Potentially. Potentially, yeah. Mm. Kind of as always, money in the right place. What's the right place? Well, I think there's some quite obvious recommended listening after this one. Um, it's, of course, episode 272, Onboarding with Crystal Higgins. I think we actually had Joe's episode as recommended listening at the end of her episode. Right. It makes perfect sense that you have beginnings and ends linked through the recommendation of recommending to listen to the other one. And the previous Joe McLeod uh, interview, of course, is the other recommend listening, the ends episode. Yes, which mm. is 258, because we, we repeated that as 258. If you want to join the Ambition and Power program, uh, use the code UXPODCAST when you sign up at uxpodcast.com forward slash empower. And remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. letters are in the alphabet i don't know james how many letters are in the alphabet 11 <laughs> <laughs>